and I don't want... Welcome back to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Today, you are joined by Lawrence, DY, Jack, and myself, DC. Now, unfortunately, you missed me in last week's episode, but I am back, baby. Did you boys miss me? Yeah, I missed you the most. Who? Yeah, Jack got absolutely roasted, so he needed yeah, I'm to glad you're back, DC. Hold <laughs> the kids back. He was getting bullied. Lawrence was holding his feet and I was holding his head as we were dunking him in the dunny. Man got cooked. Well, uh, I am back, Jack. I'm on your side, my man. Let's uh, let's get these two. Looking forward to it. Let's hit it. Well, uh, guys, we uh, have an epic discussion lined up for today. We'll be covering a few different bits and pieces in terms of the WNBF Australia show that took place on the weekend. Uh, we also have the Amateur Olympia to chat about in uh, in today's podcast too. We have the IFBB Olympia uh, this weekend. Sorry, that was the amateurs last weekend. We actually got the uh, the Pro Olympia this coming weekend. And, uh, you know, a few other bits and pieces in terms of questions, listener questions. So before we actually get into the WNBF show day wrap up, let's catch up with the boys and just see where everybody is at at this point in time. I was going to say, I haven't t- chatted you with you guys for a while in terms of the potty, but obviously I saw you boys on the weekend minus DY, but uh, Jack, how are you doing my man? How are you at this point in time? Yeah, things are good on my end. Honestly, not much is changing, just nearing the end of this push up phase and um, honestly looking forward to it. Like the, I think after three years of of gaining now the but I wouldn't say it's getting to me, but I'm just looking forward to a little bit of change, just eating less food. And I'm sure it won't take many weeks of dieting for me to to say I'm looking forward to more food, but I'm just looking forward to a different set of challenges. Cause I feel like I get to a phase in my body weight anyway where especially the leg days do get quite tough. Um and I feel like when you get down to below a certain body fat percentage, they get tough in a different respect. So I'm very rarely sort of in a very nice uh, zone with, with leg day training. It's either a little uncomfortable in terms of food volume and body weight, or not quite comfortable because I'm eating uh, in, in a dieting phase. So um, I know there will be a sweet spot on the way down there though, probably for a solid like 10 to 15 weeks, even where I um, I'm not kind of forcing food down, but that's kind of the theme of, of how things are going at the moment. Mm, awesome, man. Well, uh, you know, really, realistically in the grand scheme of things, not that far until you commence your, your diet phase. So mm. I guess enjoy the, enjoy the food while it lasts. Right. Yeah, that's right. What about you, DY? What's happening, man? So currently I'm like pretty much in like a little bit of a calorie deficit before we go on the holidays. So originally I pretty much done about an 18 to 20 week build about three to four weeks maintenance. Um, and then I'm going to be going into like a little bit of a mini cut about two to three weeks prior. I didn't really care if I went into the mini cut or not. Um, but Joe pretty much ordered it. Main reason behind that being as well is I don't think I'm going to be cutting anytime when I get back, you know, Christmas coming around. Last thing I want to be doing is farting around with like a mini cut through there. So, and even when I would get into the new year, I want to be in probably a good little position to more or less just go straight into a gaining phase. So pretty much running like a tiny little bit of a dieting phase prior, stripping off a little bit of body fat percentage. So in that way, when I get back, like I mentioned, we can pretty much go full steam ahead in terms of a gaining phase. Um, I had a little bit of an issue with my rib as well, which I probably chatted to Lawrence. It was actually like for a decent little hunk of time, probably like over nearly 12 weeks. And I was like, it's gotten like 90% better, but it wasn't all the way better. So I actually went to an osteo, um, and he sorted me out. I didn't know who to go to. Cause I was like, do I go to a Cairo, someone that might deal a little bit more with like the rib side of things, or do I go to a physio more muscular. So I actually went in the middle first time ever actually being to an osteo and he fixed me within two sessions. So I was a happy man, got the little ray gun out, you know, a little zappa zappa again, fix it up. Me. Yeah. He cracked it out, man. It was t- two Boy, sessions. Hell, I could, couldn't believe it. Magic. Quack. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Lawrence? He's just, you know, DY just referred to you as just the muscular guy. Like, you know, as a physio, like you don't do anything to do with like, you know, anything other than musculature. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I'm just happy that the uh, placebo element's functioning nicely in DY's brain, mate. That's all that matters. As long as you feel good, bro. No, he did a bunch of other stuff as well, um, but like, like a little bit more. Ha- yeah, exactly. And he swung a little clock in front of me and. Next thing you know, I was fixed. Mm. So, no, nah, you did a lot of other stuff as well, but I'd never been to one. And I was like, mm, you know what? Like, give it a go. Apparently, they're really good. And well, I, I guess he fixed me. So, that's all I give a crap about. Just uh, um, realigned the, the chakra and everything like that, right? Exactly. You know, just, just get, yeah. I think it's like color therapy. I think you didn't get like yeah. colored crystals and stuff and just shine light on your, on you know, on the area that's affected and hocus pocus. 
mm. miraculously it's it's done right mm. he did like a couple little cracks on me as well and all that's gone through my head is when like the Cairo fixed up Carlton Loft and I'm like sitting there I'm like is this is where it goes down is this where I die and I have to pack up my bodybuilding career but hey I'm here in one piece and I'm uh feeling good so everything on that side of things is going really well as well mm. Awesome, man. Well, let's uh, move over to you, dear Lawrence. And I mean, obviously, we'll we'll chat a little bit more about the the WNBF side of things shortly. But let's chat a bit, a little bit more about the uh, the next step, man. Obviously, the 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 WNBF world. So I think it's like what a week until you guys travel out. Uh, about two weeks. Yesterday two weeks, was okay. exactly two weeks till yeah, we yeah. till we leave. So yeah, mate. The uh, the final final show of the year approaches. Show five of five, and it's the uh, the biggest dance of them all. So yeah, I'm I'm pumped for that, man. It's it's going to be super exciting. Mm, awesome. Well, uh, and in terms of myself, I am in the midst of a. Well, I'm still in the midst of a gaining phase at this point in time. No thought in in mind in relation to a, a mini cut similar to DY. I'm probably not going to diet until potentially you know after Chrissy or something like that. Sitting in the ninety the ninety fours at the moment, just touching upon the ninety five. So starting to uh, to push up a little bit higher. Probably won't push up until I probably won't diet up until I'm you know ninety six, ninety seven, maybe uh, before we implement the the next mini cut phase. But just enjoying strength being really high, calories are high as well. I just feel really good. So uh, also majority of the shows here in Australia are obviously wrapped up. So. Uh, I would say the stress is a little bit lower at this point in time. Uh, and that's affording some really productive training sessions as well. So yeah, in a, in a good spot. But um, let's get into the WNBF Australian show. Obviously, this was the first show of, I should say, the new affiliate. Definitely not the, the first time WNBF has been here in Australia. But um, overall, it was an absolutely immense show. And I'm sure Lawrence and uh, and Jack, you guys can attest to this as well. I think... Sebastian and, and Yolan, uh, the, the president and co-president, put on just a, a spectacular show. There was honestly, I, I don't even think there's any negative feedback that was was given back to, to these guys uh, around the show. So it was just immensely well run, very well organized. Um, you know, the marshalling was very effective. Uh, the like the production in terms of the actual um, live stream. I mean, everybody was amazed, right? It kind of, I had a few people going. I almost felt like I was watching the Olympia or something like that. So, shout out to um to Fit Focus Media for doing an incredible job with uh, all of their you know um, photography and, and cinematography based work. So, what do you what do you boys think? What did you uh, take away as as some of the kind of the big wins from the day in terms of you know how the day was presented and everything like that? What do you think, Jack? Yeah, so I agree. It was a especially for them their first show here in Australia. It was it was pretty phenomenal. Um, I liked one of the things that stood out for me, especially since I'll be competing with them next year. And if it's held in the same venue, it is quite efficient to be in that sort of backstage area and then literally just walk up and and hop on stage. And the fact that they had a nice little pump up area as well was fantastic with some dumbbells and. Um, a nice barbell for for Lawrence and his deadlifts and area to pull ups and and that sort of stuff. So um, that that makes a big difference. Uh, I think if someone's used used to using bands and then they go to maybe dumbbells, like you can just achieve a closer proximity to failure uh, for for exercises within reason, uh, which which um, elicits a, a better pump, in my opinion. I, I was pretty happy overall with yeah just everything i won't steal the thunder from from you or lawrence though mm. well uh lawrence obviously you being in the the uh the opposite side of the the crowd here up on that stage what did you think being an actual competitor being an athlete on the day man i thought it was fantastic i thought they they sort of took care of everyone very well uh similar to what jack said i think that that's easily the best sort of pump up environment that we've had so far throughout the season across all the shows you know just in terms of the availability and granted you know a smaller show so like the numbers of icn like you couldn't probably have something like that but i think that will continue to grow with wmbf as the numbers continue to grow um yeah like obviously there was a, a few little kinks to iron out just around like some of the timing of the divisions and communication around some of the divisions but Look, all in all, I think that putting on a bodybuilding show is not an easy thing to do. And I think even if this was the the fifth time the show was running, everyone would have been extremely impressed. So the fact that it was the first time and it went as smoothly as it did, I think they did a, a phenomenal job. 
Um, I thought that the, you know, the stage lighting was great. I thought that the overall, you know, background production, you know, you've got the screen so you could even like see your rear shots when you were posing, which is always a bit of a luxury. So yeah, all in all, mate, I think that Yulan and Seb should be massively proud of themselves. And also like a big shout out to all the helpers that were running around all day. Um, they all did a really, really good job and and looked to accommodate us as best they could. Mm, absolutely. Um, we had a couple of our BK athletes on the stage as well. We had Lisa, uh, who did women's bodybuilding and also fit body. We had Jay in, in men's physique and, and also uh, Josh in, in physique as well. And all those guys got, got first call outs. Uh, I would say the, the men's physique categories, man, they were so damn competitive. You know, there was a good chunk of the competitors in the WNBF show that were international. I think there was something like potentially like 40 competitors that might've been, or for maybe, sorry, 40 entries that might've been uh, international entries. So, and I would say majority of those were probably women's bikini and uh, the men's physique at the very end of the day. And some of the portions and like the genetic structures of, of those guys were just immense. what do you boys think? Well, I was watching it through the live stream and the live stream was really good just like the whole show from an online point of view looked extremely solid, but I, I was about to say the men's physique, the lineups that they had were extremely solid. Like in the overall or whatever it was in the open division, one of the open divisions, you had two pros in there, which was Michael. Um, I think the last guy was there, Sean as well. And like, they ended up coming second and third. So that just shows you how deep that talent pool was in the men's physique. Like, you know, two pros that are very, good like both of well sean actually won a pro show so like you know two guys that were extremely solid and you know they ended up coming second and third. that's how deep the talent pool was and even some of the other guys outside of that like one of the bk boys looks extremely impressive when i saw him come on stage um so overall the men's physique i think was probably like in terms of overall talent was extremely solid mm, absolutely i would almost say that that out of the the entirety of the season across Australia, that was probably the most international show, I would say. I mean, the ICN national show did have uh, competitors over from New Zealand, but uh, this this particular show, I think you had competitors from like Taiwan, Korea, Japan, like a lot of the um, the, the Asian countries. So yeah, some of the, the talent at that show was, was, was pretty top tier. Um, did you, I think team TBD had a few competitors as well, I believe, Jack? Yeah, a smattering. Uh, I think obviously everyone's first time competing with WMBF and a good experience to kind of wet their feet in 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 those waters. And I think um, all of them will be competing with WMBF again. And as as coaches like Tierra and I will we'll definitely be bringing competitors back there, of course, with um, with how happy with how everything was run and how it was judged. And Tierra did some test judging on the day as well, which uh, I think we may as well kind of spell out as well that. Or like if the if you are affiliated with someone on stage, the test judges or the real judges, they do take a step back from the table because obviously there's Nicole on the table, there's Joey, um, and there's a lot of affiliations therefore with a lot of competitors who who are going to potentially compete and are competing. So there's there's a very low risk or no risk of any bias for for um, rewardings. Mm, I I yeah I agree, and it was actually refreshing to see the judges that were that did have an affiliate like stand off the panel and and mm. visually stand up and walk off and like walk off to the side and sit down, and then once that you know division was 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 marked and, and then the awards would would be placed, then the judge would come back and, and sit back down. So it was very visual that hey I have no part in in judging this, which I, I think is you know in terms of reducing bias. Uh, is is like the, it should be the standard right like across yeah. across the board there so um well congratulations to all the competitors that competed at that show but in particular the wnbf pro winners so we had in men's bodybuilding we had mohammed and we also had eric eric helms uh miss figure i believe we had leah leah coots uh fit body we had peck um beck pateman in bikini we had chloe rhodes and zoe chiotakis and in men's physique, we had um, Eza and, and Tayel. So, you know, quite a few pro cards were awarded to athletes that, um, you know, that were pro worthy and either won uh, the overalls or were granted to come back and compete compete against against the, I think, the second place competitor uh, in their open class. So, yeah, immense, immense uh, lineups and, and just very competitive across the board. So congratulations to, uh, to those athletes. But... Um, we had a few other placings for Australia 
uh, representing uh, over in the over in the states. And I believe Lisa came second in an opens medium height uh, at the amateur Olympia. Congratulations to her. And I think we also had Amy uh, Shearer who placed third uh, in the opens tall category in bikini. So that's pretty damn cool to be, uh, you know, be over there representing Australia and, and do so well over there. So congratulations to uh, to those girls. Did you guys have anything else that you wanted to add there? Other than um, I wouldn't just going back to WMBF and saying, um, I wanted to hear from Lawrence about his experience with Eric up on stage and, we can't we can't forget that Lawrence was one shot away from his pro card as as well, which is super impressive. Yeah, absolutely, man. Lawrence, I think you look top tier up on that damn stage. And considering you're young in in respect to like your overall bodybuilding career, I mean this this just goes to show the substance that you have and and uh, and how far you can you can take this. You know what I mean? So like hold holding your own against competitors that are much 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 older and perhaps have trained for a lot longer as well. I think there's almost a a level of like sort of contentment at like what you're bringing to the stage yeah yeah no i appreciate those those kind words mate and i think yeah it, it wasn't uh an easy pill to swallow like um i i think jack caught me in in 4k sort of right as i was coming off stage and like i was, I was pretty emotional and I, I haven't gotten like teary-eyed before after a bodybuilding result ever until that and i think it was maybe just a combination of like far out like so close again you know like two spots away at icn one spot away at WNBF, and um yeah like I was, I was pretty disappointed in the moment like i thought it was very very close i thought of i knew it was going to be tight between me and eric um but looking back and sort of reviewing the situation i'm, I'm certainly not unhappy with the call i think that like top to bottom front to back eric probably is just a little bit more complete um bit more muscle maturity like he's got like it's actually you get a better sense for his density in person i think like i think just his muscle density um the for the photos don't do him justice like just little things like just through the midsection through the chest like his legs you're like far out this dude's actually got a, a very dense physique and you know small waist nice x-frame so eric looked great i think you know he was he was pretty happy with how he looked and i think it's the best that i've ever seen him um and yeah, like, like you said, I think that it's just going to be a time thing from here. And that's sort of been like the feedback from the judges and the feedback from, you know, fellow competitors and other coaches that they've just sort of reassured me like, hey, mate, it's all there. Like, I know I can pose well. I know I can get in very good condition. I just need to, to spend a bit more time in the game until my, my physique really has that sort of mature, dense look. And I think reviewing the day, the, the probably the one... I don't know if I would classify it as a mistake um, that Joey and I made because I, I don't know how avoidable it was, to be honest, is I will say when I was pumping up for the second run around where I was going to have the comparison with Eric, like I sort of looking at myself in the mirror and just felt very full, felt very pumped, but just didn't quite have the the sharpness that I had earlier in the day, like particularly like through my legs and like the striations through my chest, I could just sort of see, okay, like we're right on the verge of, of spilling over a little bit here. Um, but discussed it with Joey and we were sort of like, well, man, like, I mean, any open men's bodybuilder, you have to spill that day eventually. Otherwise you kind of weren't full enough. And it's just sort of a question of how you time it. Um, so we ended up, you know, we did have a little bit more food and a little bit more sodium between the division um, otherwise I would have just flattened out and, you know, it was the call that we made, whether or not it would have made a massive difference overall, uh, look, not, neither here nor there. Like once again, I'm, I'm not, um, displeased with the result. Um, but I do think that was probably one thing that would be feedback that I would give, for example, like seven Yalan is like, I didn't really see the point in waiting another hour and a half to get the overall done for the bodybuilding. Um, it was sort of like, well, we're all here. We're all pop pumped everyone's looking their best for the day let's just get straight into it so i think that was probably one like schedule change that i think mm, would have been a better idea um mm. so i think that in that's feedback i'd give them in the future um but you know as far as like the day as a whole like once i had taken a bit of time to reflect i sort of reminded myself like hey yes maybe i missed out on the pro card but i got to stand up next to one of my idols and I don't use that word lightly like Eric is as an idol of mine like he's a hero of mine in this this game and I got to you know pose down against Eric Helms for a pro card like that's 
pretty freaking cool. And I think that, you know, the, the day that Eric wins his WMBF pro card, like the whole industry has been kind of waiting for that. And like, it was, it's a pretty historic day for natural bodybuilding, just based on how much he's given to the sport and how much he's provided for the whole community, not only as an athlete, but as like an educator. So, you know, I like to think that I had my, my little slice of history, you know, I was the one that pushed him to the very end. And I was the one that was standing there on the day that he won it. Um, and Eric's been nothing but complimentary in the last few days. Like um, after he listened to my podcast, um, he sent me a couple of voice notes and um, he's just, man, he's a class act. Like he, he really is just every bit as nice and genuine um, and just considerate and kind as he comes across on podcasts and, yeah, I just wanted to to give him his props because he he was a true gentleman the whole day, and um, it's been very nice to go back and forth with him and wishing him nothing but but the best for the pro debut. Mm, absolutely, like I remember, I was standing there when when you guys were getting photos, and uh, you know he was just sort of having a chat with you about you know the approach towards worlds and and uh, and pretty much like geeing you up for for you know showcasing your absolute best at at worlds. So. I think it, it takes a sort of a true, true gentleman and just an avid, uh, you know, lover of the sport and competition to, you know, do that and and sort of have those wise words and and have those words of affirmation. So, yeah, props props to Eric for 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 winning his pro card, doing immensely well, but uh, for also just you know being a humble gent and and contributing to the sport so well. So uh, yeah, overall, just an immense an immense show, and no doubt, you know, I think a lot of competitors who maybe were watching the show from the sidelines or, you know, from the, the live stream uh, might be, you know, intrigued to, to potentially compete with the WNBF, you know, down, down the track. I believe that they're discussing potentially a, a season A uh, in the mix there. So, but, you know, at minimum, obviously a, a season B next year as well. So uh, really cool, cool times for uh, natural bodybuilding here in Australia. Is there anything else that you boys wanted to add up uh, before we move on to our next topic here? The only thing would have been like exactly what Lawrence said, where was the time between like the overalls and the actual other divisions? That's probably the only point of call that they could have fixed up. I know I was watching like the bikini lineup and I think it was like three hours after the overalls was all like the opens, which is a long time between divisions. And that was even one of the issues when I went to watch the WMBF worlds over in New York last time is the from the time they do the first round of pre-judging to when they do the finals which they already have the results for pretty much it was like 12 hours like it was ridiculous brandon kempter went on at like two o'clock in the afternoon didn't get what his result was till three o'clock in the night so um i think for australia like if they yeah oh yeah yeah sorry like yeah in the morning so it was literally 12 hours it was like yeah. crazy um because yeah, obviously a one day a one day show that. right yeah, it was meant to be a one-day show, but it didn't wrap up till about three or four in the morning. And BK, being the amateur bodybuilding, was actually the last one to get their results. I think it was Bikini was first and stuff like that. So it was definitely a bit of a pain. So yeah, maybe, you know, obviously bringing some of the division times forward a little bit. Um, yeah, probably best bet mm. for the athletes anyway, because sitting around for 12 hours trying to hold condition, like that's a fucking task. Like even three hours is rough. Yeah, I, I I can definitely attest to that. I think even you know looking back on 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 prior seasons where some of the competitors within BK conditioning have competed maybe across like multiple categories and those categories being rather sort of spread out within the day. Uh, for example, you know within ICN etc. You know it is it is quite challenging. You know as as the coach to peak someone perfectly across you know multiple multiple hours and. You know, despite your best efforts, I do think you slowly start to see the athlete fade a little bit towards the later aspects of the day. Uh, as much as you're, you know, pushing in carbohydrates on the day, uh, encouraging, you know, recovery in terms of putting the feet up between divs, uh, you know, caffeine to assist in 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 in, in hype and you know energy. Uh, it you know it just is really hard to kind of see see that that peak performance throughout the entirety of the day there. So yeah, it totally makes sense maybe to kind of block that off as you know bodybuilding straight up, do the overall straight away, then move into you know the next div and and kind of roll it through like that. Awesome. Well, uh, that basically wraps up the segment associated with the WNBF section. But uh, I do have a couple of questions here in terms of uh, listener questions. And this is actually reflecting upon our comments with uh, the men's physique and, and just how immense that was, particularly within the WNBF. 
But this is kind of throwing it over to you, DY. How much do you think men's physique category has improved uh, over the last few years? Let's say in comparison to you know 20, 2018 or, or 2017, somewhere around there. Are we talking like IFBB or like ICN, like the natural scene? Well, let's let's talk firstly about the the IFBB because I think I think like that has changed immensely, mm. right? Don't you think? I think that's probably the one that has changed the most. Just like the difference between like, what was it? Probably like 2015, like when Jeremy was like first competing in some of the first like Mr. O's, like the difference is like nine day. Like it's almost like it's a whole different division. Like the conditioning is like a lot better, a lot sharper. And not only that, the ratios are just getting more insane. I think that just goes for every single division though. But like, I think men's physique is definitely pushing the boundaries. Um, So Hopefully, like, you know, the weight cap can kind of keep it like somewhat in reins and it's not almost like their classic classic physique bodybuilders, like uh just with board shorts on. But I think I personally love it. I think it looks absolutely tremendous. Like I think probably at the start when you compare the two now, you're like, Yeah, men's physique at the start wasn't like the best, but it's gotta start somewhere. And then now when you compare it to like the modern day, like everyone's sharp, some insane tapers, uh, and yeah, I really like it, especially like the IFBB development. Mm. And even just, I feel like the, the the sheer size of the competitors also in terms of actual like height as well mm. has kind of changed a little bit too. You see some boys that are actually quite tall and just can fill out that frame immensely well within the physique lineup too. So yeah. I think if they can fill it out, it looks really nice. Like Raymond Edmonds and like Aaron Banks, like, you know, some of those guys when you've actually got a really small waist and then you're able to now push that weight cap um and you need to have muscle in the right areas like you know there's some insane tapers Mm, mm, absolutely well uh you know i think that almost transfers to uh most most categories though right because i think even if we talk about like men's bodybuilding and and how that might have changed as well not even maybe in the last you know five years or so but just throughout the the ages right kind of like the ronnie the ronnie era and then just how that's kind of shifted into the more sort of slightly aesthetic look to then bringing back the mass again and speaking of uh, of the IFBB, uh, bloody Nick Walker, what happened to him, mate? He uh, mm. he got wind of your injury, uh, Lawrence, and he just it just psyched himself out, and then he's obviously done an RDL and he's pulled his hamstring. What's going on, mate? To be fair, like you are a week out from the Mister Olympia, where I mean Nick was probably in line for a, another top three and a pretty good payday. So oh, it must have been bad, man. Like I mean. Mm have a crack like how i'm sorry like surely it wouldn't have been so severe to the point where he couldn't have snuck a top five you know what i mean like bad enough just comes down to that yeah i don't know like it must be like very very severe if you're pulling out from like a show where you're probably in line to pick up a at least 100k payday like damn Mm, yeah but it's also hard getting on stage knowing that it's not 100 percent. like if you're an extremely like competitive person you're going for the mr o like if you were going in knowing that you were 95 percent, weren't able to do any of your back shots can't flex your hamstring because it could make it even worse like you know and then maybe next thing you go eighth or something like you know and you're further down the line like that's that's a big hit for someone that's extremely competitive will they yeah. allow him to come back next year though that's the thing well, I, I think if he does the right thing, you know, he gets a rehabbed, whatever it needs. I don't no, know how severe. Doesn't isn't it only like the top top three that are allowed to come back? Yeah, I don't think yeah. he'd be qualified. But then again, like Walker would probably win a pro show quite comfortably, mm-hmm. um, and then probably get his get his ticket that way. But yeah. it's more the disturbance yeah. of now having to do that pro show and and get the get the win, and then it's added pressure on him mentally to to tick that off. But yeah, it it's is. interesting to see like maybe who fills out the rest of that top three now because I think Nick would have been favorite for for top three. I reckon maybe maybe Samson slides in there potentially if he's made enough improvements. Mm. I mean, we've talked about in the past how it's like, you know, you only really want to get on stage on, on, uh, when you can showcase your absolute best. I think it would kind of just gnaw at you, right? Knowing that, you know, if you didn't place well, it's like, oh, you know, it was because of my hamstring and was there even merit to then continue on if I, you know, I really needed to rehab my, my, my hamstring? I guess it depends on the, the grade of tear, right? But I think back to, I believe Jay Cutler tore his bicep like a good seven years ago or something like that when, when he was up on stage within one of the, you know, the last couple of times he was up. And I remember visually seeing it and being like, almost not being able to not look at it. You know what I mean? So 
uh, I guess that's always someone's thought process is like, I'm hitting that back double bicep shot. And these judges are looking at my hamstring going, dude, what's, what's going on here? Um, I guess Chris Armstead just- actually had a uh, torn bicep last year. And I think maybe that's why he didn't announce it till afterwards. Cause maybe people would have been looking for it. Mm. Cause like when I look at the photos now, it's kind of obvious, but I didn't notice it when I was watching him up there. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, we're all looking at these athletes top top to bottom, but sometimes these small things can, can actually be missed. So something as severe as like, hey, this guy has a torn bicep on stage. <laughs> hmm. yeah, another thing is I think if Nick could push through it, I think he would have I already listened to, I think it was his video that he posted today. And it was like, he already tried for a couple of days to work around it and it just wasn't happening. And it was just kind of getting worse. And it's like, you know, when you're at that level, it's like, you know, and there's that much money, even top fives, what, like 50K, like American dollars, like that's a decent little stint. So I think if he could have pushed through it, I think he probably would have, but you know, a week and a half out or whatever it might've been, you know, trying to work around it and it's just getting worse. And it's like, it shows in the posing, then it could have maybe been their choice. I think him and all the team would have discussed that. Another thing on the weight cap though, and like, you know, the sport evolving is like the classic physique, like in how much like those guys have changed, like starting off like with classic physique, like, you know, they were a lot smaller. And now you look at Chris Bumstead and like that guy's nearly like a, a mini bodybuilder, like to like, you know, he, he wouldn't be far off. Like you could probably throw him in the bodybuilding lineup and he could probably do extremely well, like, you know, and not even place like in the bottom five. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I guess that's the reason for, for these sort of weight cut, you know, caps, is um to sort of put a greater sense of criteria on here. Hey, you know we can't be getting bigger than this this certain weight because now we're starting to push up into you know what bodybuilding is and I guess clear cut criteria at the end of the day. But um moving on to our next question here, when to consider top sets and back off sets uh, instead of just utilizing sort of straight working sets. What do you boys think? Is this something that you guys use? Do you guys use top sets uh, in your own training, top sets and back off sets? Or are you more someone who just has some sort of linear uh, linear set model in place, holding weight across you know multiple sets? What about you, Jack? What's your thoughts here? So I personally use mainly top and back off sets. And, or if I'm doing three sets, it might be a top set or two top sets and a back off set. And, and then it's a very diverse mix for clients some of them are it really depends partly depends on how they train like sometimes if i'm giving someone let's say three sets of eight to ten and i know that they're not quite pushing themselves as they should on the three sets of eight to ten i'll i'll intentionally give them maybe one top set of eight to ten and then two back ops sets of ten to twelve and that'll force them to use different loads and but I would also say that if you're doing three sets, three straight sets, and it almost is like a top and back off anyway, because like set one, you're naturally a little bit uh, less fatigued. You choose a heavier load, you might get eight or nine reps, and then you might naturally have to back off a little bit more towards your third set because you're more fatigued and you you might get a, like, again, in that eight to 10 range. So it's, although it's still the same rep range, you're still backing off potentially because if someone can get three sets of exactly the same load for the same reps, I would say that they're not going hard enough in that first set personally. Mm. Obviously there's a lot of individual variation though. Another Mm. thing with that being as well, if you have three sets of the exact same rep range and you see it a lot of the time where someone will do like a hundred kilos and it'll be 10, 10, 10. Mm. Like if I ever see 10, 10, 10 on a program, I know for a fact that they're not training hard enough. Like if you're training at like, you know, maybe the eight, nine, uh, RPE and you're able to maintain that load across every single set for you know two to four sets like chances are you probably got a little bit more left in that tank mm. I, I I'm sort of yeah I'm sort of in agreeance but maybe disagreeance in terms of in terms of that I do feel like if let's say for example an athlete is prescribed like three by ten on a you know barbell black squat and you stipulate that maybe in the first working set where we're training to a two RRR or we're choosing a load that's roughly a two RRR, we employ three to five minutes rest between between each set. Maybe that first set, two reps in reserve. Second set, one rep in reserve. You know, last set, zero reps in reserve. So, you well, know, that's yeah, what I think. Different when in that scenario, of course. Yeah. But like, yeah. let's because say for you're example, changing one of the raise, variables. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily program two RIR and a lateral raise. Well, you might, I don't know, but like, <laughs> I personally don't. No, yeah. I would usually program more, more like a zero to a one RIR in a lateral raise. Oh, so right. I think it's I thought it's you meant odd. like six RIR for a second. <laughs> yeah. Maybe as a warm up. 
Um, but no, I mean, more specific to, I guess it's even, you know, somewhat dependent on uh, the type of movement we're doing as well, right? So, you know, if someone's doing a, a more uh, complex, uh, heavier based based movement, you know, maybe employing something like a, a back, you know, a top set, a back offset might be like an appropriate strategy, but, you know, using something like a side raise or a bicep curl or tricep extension, you know, I think that's probably, there's probably more merit to just running straight sets at, uh, you know, one RR, zero RR, somewhere around there. What do you boys think? What do you think, Lawrence? Yeah, I think for me, it's like, it's about getting someone at the point where let's say they do have those, those three sets and they get to the level of advancement where they're using a load where they just couldn't do that same load again. Like for example, like your top set of maybe a hip hinge or a hack squat. Like once I've done that top set, like if I was to attempt that top set again, even with adequate rest, like I know I'd be getting like two or three reps, you know what I mean? Even though I may have gotten eight to 10 because I think just the the overall neurological fatigue just won't allow me to repeat that performance. I think that's where top and back offsets really sort of come into their own because we can still accumulate some more productive volume, but we're just using less absolute load going into a higher rep range um, because neurologically you've taken so much out of yourself from that first top set. And then the most extreme example of that is when we've got people who are only doing one top set because, you know, they're hack squatting six plates on the Cybex or something like that. So I think that probably the the main issues that people encounter here is, you know, you see your favorite bodybuilder doing top and back offsets. So you feel like you need to do that, even though you're probably fine to just keep running straight sets. And for a lot of people, you know, I mean, with all the sort of, stuff that's come around like with volume and failure training, like, you know, there was the Zach Robinson meta regression, which sort of did show like, okay, you can get away with less volume, but you need to be training closer to failure. And I think some people, they don't know how to take it there just yet. So if they're then dropping a set out of all their exercises, they're missing out on a lot of volume, which could be why they're not growing as well as they'd like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One I almost thing feel I... like, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I almost feel like with, you know, individuals who are maybe new to training, it's, I feel like it would be hard to employ a top set mentality for these athletes because perhaps they're just not able to gauge their, their proximity to, to failure very well. And so they're, you know, employing a top set, but maybe the top set still looks like it's, you know, four reps in reserve, five reps in reserve. Uh, they're feeling fatigued, but it's just not truly, you know, close proximity to failure. And if that's just a single set, at, you know, four reps in reserve, probably not adequate stimulus in terms of volume. I mean, that being said, individuals who are very, very new to training, very vanilla, don't really need a whole lot of stimulus to see adaptation and growth. Um, but I guess, you know, I guess it just comes down to the tra trainability of the athlete. But that's why I think it's important to almost start to count your working sets when you've began to uh, train at a, an appropriate, you know, RPE slash, you know, RIR, right? Because I think it's common for some athletes to be like, okay, you know, on my program, it says I'm doing three sets of 10 on my hack squat today. My first set is, let's say it's, you know, 60 kilos. My second set is 80. And then my last set is, you know, hundred. And I look at something like that and I'm like, you just made 20 kilogram increases across those three sets. Chances are like that last set might've actually been the appropriate, you know, stimulus in that case. And that's only one set that you ran. I mean, the progression in there should probably be more likely, you know, maybe you ran 90, then you went 95, then you went 100 for your for your last, you know, top top set to a, to, to a degree. What do you boys think? I think one thing is like, I like as a newbie, you probably don't need the top set back offset. It's like almost like you got to kind of earn it. Like you can have that back offset where you've got more reps in there, but like if they're a newbie and they're starting out the gym, maybe in the first couple of years and they really haven't touched it, a lot of them have like this mentality behind the back offset of it's an easy set. Like, you know, I go from doing this hard set, which is a one or a two RIR. Now I get this back offset, drop 20% of the load and I'm sitting at a five RIR where realistically that's not the case at all. You're dropping back some of that load, but it's still a hard set. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, you just because it's swapped from top set to back offset doesn't change it from a hard set to an easy set. Like the back offset still a hard set. Otherwise you're going to be doing like, like exactly like what you said, DC, you do one hard set out of all of those. And then, you know, maybe the others realistically don't even matter. So that's one thing with like giving like newer people that realistically don't know how to train with intensity just yet. 
um, top set, back off set. It's almost like it's got to kind of be earned. Otherwise, you could just have them on eight to 10 rep range and just be like, every week, slowly increase weight. And eventually, you're going to get to that point where you learn how to train hard. You're going to have to actually fight for those reps and those PBs. And then that's where you might be able to add in some more different differentiating rep ranges. But even with that said, like, you know, you, there's no reason you can't give them different rep ranges within that one exercise. Mm, I think that's, I think that's a, such a... I was just going to say, I think that's a good point as well. Like, you know, part of the benefit of those higher rep sets is sort of accessing different pathways of hypertrophy. So we know that like the metabolite accumulation phase is, is also important, not only sort of the volume and the mechanical tension, but like, you know, doing sets of 15 to 20, where you're really filling that muscle up with blood is also going to be, you know, activating some different pathways when it comes to growth. So, and we also like, it doesn't take a, a scientist to determine like certain exercises just suit high rep ranges more than others. And I think, you know, it is good to just do some, some higher rep range stuff every now and again, like, for example, like when Jack and I trained legs the other day, like my back off set for the leg press was 15 to 20. Like that's high, but you know, I you're just challenging. Yeah, Jack sat that one out. Um, but it, it's also good to, I just think, work across a variety of rep ranges. Like, yes, maybe you're not going to do sets of six to eight for your lateral raises, but for a lot of, you know, leg-based movements, you can pretty much work across the full range, like the full spectrum of rep ranges. And I think it's beneficial, um, particularly if you're like managing injuries and you can't use as much absolute load. That's where some of the higher rep stuff can still be very effective and like what we know from a lot of Brad Schoenfeld's work, like essentially any rep range can elicit growth so long as the, you know, RIR is, is you know, low enough. Mm, absolutely. I think the the top set back off set probably more so suits some of those heavier, you know, compound movements, right? And, and, uh, and just, and just lower rep schemes, you know, you're not going to really employ a, a top set for a, a set of 30 on a leg press or, you know, a set of 20. Not, I've, I've personally not described that, uh, nor nor would I um, not necessarily recommend it, but I do think that sometimes utilizing far higher rep schemes for some exercises becomes a lot more challenging to gauge your proximity to you know fatigue slash failure than perhaps utilizing uh, a lower a lower rep range in that regard. But I, I think also that slightly higher sets can work well as a back off because I wouldn't necessarily do like I don't often do three sets of let's say fifteen to twenty on a leg press. But I might go, okay, top set, you're going to do 10 to 12. And then the back off set, you might do 15 to 20. Or maybe even two sets of 10 to 12 and then 15 to 20. So can be a good way of, because I, I think by set three or 15 to 20, like where's your where's your head at? Like where's your CNS at? And maybe one set of that is more ideal than doing two slightly lower rep sets. So it just goes to show there's a lot of diversity in how you want to program for it because ultimately it's just a way of, expressing different rep ranges across a, a single exercise. Another thing is I also find it's a little bit easier to progress on across multiple rep ranges. I don't know if that might be the same for you. If I had to do a hundred kilo, like, you know, hack squat or whatever, if I was to use that exact same load and then try and do increased like reps over both sets, I find it a lot harder than what say I might have like an eight rep set and then a 12 to 15 rep set. I find it a lot easier to progress over the two rep ranges than I would over the two sets at the exact same rep range with the exact same weight. But yeah, that that's exactly the point DY as well as like, you're only going to hit that at a certain level of advancement. So it's yep. like, once you do get to that stage where you're like far out, like these three sets, like I'm really struggling to, to do that third one or maybe even that second one. Like for me, it came on deadlifts where I was still doing like two top set working weight for deadlifts. And then I'd do a back off set. And then I would say, do I'd get eight reps on the first one rest for three or four minutes. And then I'd literally get like three. I was like, okay, oh, I can't do this anymore. And then eventually moved it to just top and back off. And now, you know, when I get back to doing them, I'm only going to do one set. So I think it, it just sort of harkens back to that point where it's like, until you get to that level where you actually, it, I think maybe a good way to sort of like think about it is, does the amount of rest time that you have to take in order to repeat performance just become completely unfeasible? At that point, you're probably ready to start some back offs. Mm, I think that's really well well put. What would be the like the average rest time that you guys would take between some of your your larger compound movements? 
So considering obviously we're talking about say, just doing just doing a Five one one top set on the RDL, but think of a movement where you might be hitting two ah, two A what? <laughs> ah. What would Lawrence I, actually yeah. has to have a full psychology session in between each set of RDLs just to ensure that he's mentally switched on going for that lift. Mm. Mate, it was bloody it was bloody Halloween last night, and I swear mm. some of these kids were dressed up as a barbell RDL. <laughs> bloody mm. spooky stuff. I reckon for some of my heavy compound movements, probably about four to five minutes would be like more or less to go. Maybe like a chest supported T-bar row, a squat or a pendulum or something along the lines of that would probably be about four to five minutes. Mm. That's fair. Up, yeah. to, up to 10 minutes for me on, on leg day. I would say four to five on, on push or upper day, but on mm. leg day, yeah. Close bloody dude pulls up a bloody uh, deck chair at that yeah. point. Camping His clients are sitting there. Why? Why don't I get my like check-in response? And Jack's actually gone camping in the middle of his sets. He's there for eight hours, so you're not getting same day replies. Mm. No, I bring I bring my laptop into the gym, and, and that way I can get back to clients in between mm. sets. Mm. Works out well. You got a microwave in there as well. Yeah, Riggs has a microwave. Nice. So you set. I would say that. I would say naturally, I probably sit like well. I recover fairly well between sets, like. Jack, like you maybe even notice, like when I train, like I'm sort of pretty ready to go and like move on to the next exercise fairly quickly. Like maybe my hack squats or like, you know, hip hinge will be that sort of, you know, four to five minutes. But, you know, for a lot of my exercises, like I still time them just because I, I like to sort of keep an eye on the rest times and I like to not necessarily be in the gym for a, a hell of a lot longer than I need to. Um, and I, I would say that maybe I slightly fall on the bell curve a little bit closer to recovering a bit faster between sets. Um, like we trained legs on the weekend with Matt and Gary and Gary, I think was like maybe a little bit cooked. Like he, <laughs> he got a bit of a headache because I think we were like me and Matt both move like at a fairly similar pace where it's like, okay, sweet. Like we're ready to go. I think big gas, mate, there's just too much blood in those quads. So, uh, I think he was struggling a bit. I must say you do move quite quickly, even like through like your workouts. So I don't know, maybe it might be because like, you know, obviously like you've got a normal job, <laughs> get serious about it, get unemployed. But um, like, you know, you're obviously very quick with like your rest rate. I even noticed that when I was training, like I would go spot you and then I'll do my set. And then Lawrence is pretty much putting on the belt, ready to go again. Like, I'm like, holy shit. All right. Mm. I think it may also be because like, I, one thing I was noticing, I was thinking about this when I was listening to your latest podcast with Tierra Jack is like mm -hmm. the idea of like the cardiovascular fitness. And I've always found that even in the off season, like I've never struggled with like the cardiovascular side of things, even when I've been at my heaviest. So maybe that is a part of it as well. Like I just, I feel like naturally I'm just fairly fit when it comes to those sorts Not of things. genetics all around mate i'm just i'm just the guy you know i'm him it's, it's mm, that simple him. um but no i feel like i think once again it, it probably ties back to like yes if you're going to have a top and a back off yes you probably are ready for some longer rests also because you know you only have like one or two shots at it or for some people maybe it's only one working set so you really probably even want to have a decent rep rest between like your last feeder set or your last warm-up then going into like your your top set because if you're going into it a little bit early it's like oh well i've sort of wasted my one opportunity for the day um mm. so it all you know it all probably goes together hand in hand doesn't it mm, absolutely did you start uh timing your rest periods whilst you're in prep or is that something that you've always done in the off season i've always done that and look in fairness mate it's probably just like a bit of my own neuroticism and also like I mean, a lot of the time I'm not rushing through my sessions, but it's rare that I go to the gym and go, oh, this can just take as long as it needs to take today. So it's like part of it is also getting out at a reasonable time. But no, I'm, I'm normally pretty, pretty consistent with timing my rests. I personally do think that there is, there needs to be some consistency with your rest times, because at the end of the day, like, how do you really know? where that progression is coming from if one week you're resting for two minutes and the next week you're resting for four and i have even noticed like for certain movements like maybe someone started chatting to me between sets i've ended up resting a bit more and i'll get substantially better you know performance than the week prior now one could argue oh well then you should be resting longer because your performance is better but you know i feel like if you're still 
if it's the difference between like getting three more reps or one or two, as long as the proximity to failure is still there, like, does it really matter? Like, probably not. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. The only reason I ask is that I remember towards the very, uh, I think it was mid middle of prep to me, uh, towards sort of the later aspect, I actually started timing my rest period just more as a means of ensuring that I was training at like an adequate pace. Cause I noticed that, I mean, that adaptive thermogenesis kind of smacks you in the face and I was just slowing down a lot. So I would notice that I would like, you know, I wouldn't sit on the leg extension just to kind of, you know, kill time and, and rest. Like I'd literally be like laying on it, like just dead, dead to the world. So I, I found that I had to start timing myself just as a means of saying, okay, I've had my three minutes now, like I'm ready to go. I'm not waiting any longer. Any longer than this is not going to be beneficial. It's going to just going to be a product of me just not wanting to move because I'm dieted. So I, I found personal benefit from, uh, from that specifically, but I think in terms of a recommendation around rest periods, I feel like it's, it's adequate to take, take the required rest so that you can get the most out of your next set, but don't take so much that you are getting cold and you're, you're losing your overall kind of mental and physical, physical readiness to perform. So I feel like there's kind of like that, that sweet spot and perhaps that sweet spot for everybody just looks, you know, a little bit different. Some person might want to take two minutes on the leg extension, whereas, you know, Lawrence, you might, you might only need one minute or a minute and a half between your leg extension bouts before you're, you know, really feeling mentally ready, ready to go. So it's kind of like that, you know, Goldilocks principle, I guess, at the end of the day. But um, RDLs tomorrow, I should probably actually time how long it takes. Yeah. What about, what about from the first warm up set to last like actual, you know, uh, working set? How, how long you reckon takes for you to, to, to tick off your RDLs? 40 minutes? Mm, not actually that long. Probably more like 20, 38. 25. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was doing my deadlifts, I used to have like a combo. It used to be like barbell deadlifts, then hack squats in prep. And over the time, I think it was roughly about like 50 minutes it took or like 60 minutes just to do those two exercises. So a total of like six sets. And it was like, by the time it took me to warm up for each exercise, it was like over an hour probably per, per, per leg day. So, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, uh, boys, I believe that wraps up our episode for today. Uh, if you love today's episode of the Bodybuilding It Done on the podcast, remember to give us a subscribe and an awesome review. And we will certainly see you in the next episode. 